Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom. <laughs> Robert. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, that's how am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So, here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. Just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. I remember that. You've got a Model X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. So, uh, talking to Tesla 59... I know I'm a little angry. Why? Why are you so mad all the time? It's, it's my like, birthday. Happy birthday, Mel. I knew it happy was your birthday. Happy birthday, Mel. Are you excited? I didn't know it was your birthday. It's just another reminder that I'm getting old. Yeah, yeah that's what birthdays are by their very nature. There's no longer any excitement that you had when you were six. Oh, I'm six today. I'll probably get a cake. No, you're in your 50s. And now you're just diving deeper into them. There's no escaping the other end. We're all going to die. It's meaningless. <laughs> oh, my God. What We're is the point talking, of it all? Talking Tesla 59, the existentialist crisis. <laughs> but I have one. I have one birthday wish, Tom. Oh. Robert. One. Just one. Can you guess? I really don't want to. Does it involve falking wing doors? No, it involves oh. a certain orange-haired man not winning tomorrow. Ah. Uh. I think you're. I think Anthony Weiner. You will, you will get your. You will get your wish. Mm. I'm calm and relaxed about that one. Oh really? I'm completely effing freaked out that he could win. Robert doesn't watch the Sunday morning uh, political show. Now you watch too much news. It's just you know when I get this newspaper, shall I hold it up or no? It's going to make noise. <laughs> when I get this newspaper, the first first article I read is the third one on the list. And you know what was exciting this morning? What is was when exciting? I read. When I read the third article on the list of the Wall Street Journal, which I try to read whenever I'm away from home because I, I have to come clean. I'm not a subscriber, but I do like reading it. I don't want to feel too Republican, though. I like to read both sides of the spectrum, though. And it says, new cheating allegation broadens VW crisis. And I saw that as I was getting my, my, my coffee and my quiche, getting ready for talking Tesla here in San Francisco, and my heart leapt. Not that I want, you know, anybody to suffer, but I want their sufferings on the planet to be exposed. That's terrible. Hopefully it'll result in some more cash for EV charges in the end. So <laughs> No, but the point is is that well, that they're just it's just another freaking corporation doing the wrong thing and it just it makes all of us think don't we don't trust them. We don't trust corporations. We don't trust government. We don't trust each other. Oh, the world is destroyed. Like, oh, don't, I'm 52 years old. No. Oh, my God. You're 52? No wonder you're bummed. That's old. The only way I feel okay. better is knowing that Robert is older than me. Oh, that is very mean-spirited. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about some fun things. Please. Let's talk about version 8.0 update. So I don't understand these updates. You get them a lot. You know, every few weeks you get an update. But they fixed the radio finding problems that I was having a few weeks ago. It's lovely, isn't it? It's so much better. Clearly somebody goes, oh, oops, we forgot to make it so you can actually find things. Let's update that. It's really nice. And even Elon tweeted about it. I think it was about this. Somebody was complaining, I can't find my favorites and I can't do this. And then magically, boom, I can find everything again. Thank you, I don't people have, of Tesla. 
I don't have XM radio on my transmission. Well, you know, it was working. I couldn't find anything. Nothing I could find. Now I find it all very easily. Can you find us still? Yes. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I don't know if we've stated this for the record, but we are on uh, TuneIn, so therefore we are on the Tesla. So you can go to your Tesla. Mm -hmm. You can go to TuneIn. Should I go now? Uh, No, we're doing a show. Okay, good. And then you uh, look for podcasts, put in Talking Tesla. Boom! There we are in all our glory. You might be listening to it on your Tesla right now. I haven't tried this yet, but uh, and and by the way, it only took a couple of emails to get that done. Thank you, CC. A couple of hundred but, emails, but yes, <laughs> a hundred exactly. And so I don't know if we can be scrubbed now. I don't know if you can scrub Tom, right? You want to scrub Tom? I would love to listening. do that. Talking yeah, Tesla without listening. Tom. Yeah. Well, we oh can no, make that happen. Wow. Scrub, scrub back so you can hear Tom again because oh. he's you know typically right. See, well, that's a half full guy. You're a half empty guy. Oh, I'm 52. <laughs> you need to get over it. You've oh, had a pretty dude. good 52 year run. The only way I'm going to get over it is if we finish this, I don't have to edit anything and I can go play golf. Okay, let's All do right? it. So try not to say anything stupid. For so example, maybe, oh, I'm going to have to edit that now. Yeah, and that. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe the goal would be to record talking Tesla. From the golf cart recording studio, and then between stories, you can just go out and hit your balls. That's a great idea. <laughs> you a can golf go hit cart your recording balls. studio. What is it? I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of like Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack. Yes, yes. I like where you're going for. It. Look, let's talk about the Solar City. City. <laughs> the Solar City Tesla merger call. So, uh, if you go on the uh, Tesla.com blog, you could read all about what. Uh, why Elon thinks uh, going together with these guys in a more lovely way is a good thing. <laughs> so then they had a big audio call because uh-huh. he's trying to you know, get the people to vote for yes. Vote yes on merger. So uh, it's very boring except the last bit, which is why their solar roof is the best. And let me summarize. Here's the audio. I, I, first of all, I've never seen a solar roof that I, that I would actually want. Have you? Yeah, I mean, you so, look at the, the Darwins, all those ones, they just, they, you can, aesthetically, they, they look, they're, they're weird. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, they're worse than a normal roof. Every one of them that I've seen is worse than a normal roof, without exception. It, like, unless you're going to beat a uh, normal roof on aesthetics, why bother? So none of them, none of them did that. Uh, just the attention to detail, the aesthetics, the integration of the cell with, with, with the right type of glass. It's just always been done poorly. I, I just don't know a single case where it's been done done well. And, and I've I've been really quite keen on doing that for for a while. Like, I mean, I I I have solar panels on my roof, but they're kind of in an area w- which is hard to see. Because um, so I've I've my roof is a French slate roof, so that's one of the uh, tiles. One of the tile styles I want to do is like, could we make a French slate a roof that looks like French slate that that I could replace my my entire roof with, and it would be aesthetically uh, better. Um, and we were able to get that. It was super hard. Um, and, and with the manufacturing process, they were confident uh, it, it's, it's going to be very low cost. It's just like high, it's basically high, you know, high volume uh, glass. I mean, it, it, it is using a lot of techniques from the automotive automotive glass business. In case it, it wasn't obvious with the announcement, Tesla has created a, a, a glass technology group, uh, which with some really phenomenal people. It, it's just like glass is, is not expensive. It's actually, in volume, glass is very cheap um, and very resilient. And, and then applying kind of the hydrographic, it's not like painting, but a hydro, hydrographic coloring 
also you know, fundamentally an inexpensive process, be you know, um, using the microfibers to provide uh, earth tone colors. Also, we're, we, 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 you know, we're very low cost and volume. Like none of these things are fundamentally expensive. I don't know why nobody, nobody's done this before. You know, blows my mind. The, the, the other area why what the others have uh, failed to ignore the aesthetics, just to say it was beautiful. Their distribution uh, process is another reason why I don't think it succeeded. Um, they, they went about uh, creating the product, going through distributors, who then sell to, to the installer, who then has to get installed. So you have multiple people in the value chain who each add a compounding margin, and then the end product was just too expensive. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. It's just ended up being overhead and profit to the like to the power. Yeah. Um, with a lot of inefficiency in this distribution chain. If you look at the fundamental cost, say what's what's the cost? I mean, just look at ground up analysis. Like, what's what's the cost of glass? Uh, you know, cost per, per pound, cost per kilogram of of, of glass, including um, you know high strength glass. It's it's incredibly low. It's basically you know it's processed sand. Um, how much would it cost to do hydrographic printing and volume? Also very low. Uh, cost to produce uh, microliver film in volume? Very low. It's basically plastic. Um, uh, or uh, very durable plastic. And then it just, the tiles need to snap into a back-end uh, skeleton structure, just like snapping in a light bulb. It's, it's really, really simple. It's like, I, I, you ask me why hasn't somebody done this? I don't know. I wish they had, and if they had, we wouldn't bother. But for some bizarre reason, they're not. Okay, so you heard that. Let me summarize in another way. Oh, please. Ours is the best solar roof. Nobody else's solar roof is as good as our solar roof. All the other solar roofs are stupid. Uh, we're winning again. Is so? I was going to say, is Elon going to make solar roofs great again? He's going to make them great again. Oh, great! <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> So what do you guys think? I have questions. I was trying to wrap my brain around the whole, you know, little tiles. You throw them on your roof. You've got little eaves. You've got little sections of your roof that are always shaded, like never in sun. What's the deal here? Are we going to be, or is Tesla, Solar City, Battery, Conglomerate, going to now be putting panels on every square inch of roof that have... I should say, tiles on every square inch of your roof that have the solar cells embedded? Or do they have, like, dummy tiles? So, like, if you have a section of your roof that doesn't actually face the sun, like it's between two, um, what are those things called? Peach trees? They pop up on your roof and dormers. If you have got a couple dormers on your roof and the section in between is never in sun, why waste, you know, panels? Unless they can make them so cheap that they can cover the entire roof, and you can even glean a few photons from the dark sections of the roof. And how does that compare to actually throwing panels facing bright sun on the south-facing roof? So in other words, if I have a house and I have a huge roof uh, and, and a whole big section of it faces directly south, would it be better to just put panels on that roof? Because they are, you know, edge to edge making electricity versus a whole lot of these tiles that have a lot of section that isn't solar panel, that isn't PV. And so I wonder, you know, is this going to be a play for Solar City? They're going to come out and look at your roof and they're going to say, hey, you've got such a great south facing roof, you should just put panels on it. Or are they going to say, we're just going to commit completely to these glass tiles with the PV 
cells in them. I um, think that there's lots of unanswered questions. How efficient are these things going to be? Um, I don't think, yeah, you're not going to cover your entire roof with solar cells if they're going to be in the shade. So I'm sure that they'll just do their modeling and they'll say, we'll put solar uh, shingles over this bit and just normal shingles over on that bit. The good thing about it is here in LA County, I don't know if this is true everywhere, you have to have a four-foot setback from the edge of your roof. So um, you've got this big giant roof, but you have to have four-foot setback because they want the uh, firemen to be able to walk around them instead of over the top of them. Looks like you can just walk on the top of these puppies, so maybe you can shove more stuff in there. There is some – how efficient? We don't even know how efficient these are. They didn't say. Did well, they? they did say that did they? they thought that the panels themselves would would lose about 2% of efficiency with the – the amount of loss of the sun going through the panels. And then there, I have some other questions. Some of the panels, like the, the rounded Mediterranean tile-looking panel, yes. when you see those in situ, as it were. In, in the site that's two. On, on site, right? There are, by nature, little shadowy areas. Like because they're not time. flat. They've got big right, lumpy because bits. Because they got lumpy bits, right? And even the all like two of the four had some kind of dimensionality that caused see that like little tiny edge of shadow on the edge of my finger I know, I, know with his heads. I know you can't see that <laughs> on the radio but little tiny shadows and and shadows are bad for for cells and they're not little mini cells with micro inverters although they may be they're basically just glass panels with solar panels underneath them right it's not embedded into the actual tile so to me, it's interesting. So do you think that people, there's a lot of people out there who are like, I just don't like the way solar panels look on my roof, and that's why this product is important? I think there's a lot of people who don't like the way solar panels look. They think they look stupid and ugly, and you've got this million-dollar house, and you're so proud of it, and it's so beautiful, and then you put up these solar panels. It's actually been my beef for a long time that why can't we make solar panels pretty, interesting, in shapes, because form and function should go together, just like the iPhone is really a beautiful device and um, Mac computers are really, really nice. I think people like to see nice things. So if you can make it pretty good, but what is the downsides? We still haven't heard all of the downsides of this stuff yet. Right, and we don't know how the sun is going to affect the glare. Like uh, your house, for instance, is on a very busy corner. If there's all glass tiles, there's going to be a time of the day where the roof and the sun are just glaring a mirrored type thing back to someone on the ground, potentially. May, potentially, but maybe their little louvering stops that happening. I think that's what they were suggesting. Maybe. But it can't be yeah. any more than my giant panels out the front right now. If you listen, you can hear cars crashing right now. It's all because of my salt. And and school children and puppies suffering in the mix. And the stock advi- and the stock advisory firms are split pretty much down the middle from the ones the few that I saw about whether or not to approve this deal. Right. So right now there's Tesla, and there's Solar City. But the stock advisory firms are there's two of them, and one of them nobody pays attention to, and the one everyone pays attention to what is it IHS or something like that. They're the ones that everybody pays attention to, and they were expecting them to thumbs down the merger, but they actually thumbed it up. So that's actually quite optimistic for the merger. My scientific review of the solar roof um, by asking people uh, whether they want a solar roof after they saw this event, people who don't currently have solar panels, to a man and a woman said, oh my God, they look so beautiful, I want that. But this product is only for people who need a new roof as well as new solar panels. Exactly. 
Five million people a year. Okay. So we'll see. I mean, more when they get. You know, I, I think they look beautiful. I think they're wonderful. I would like to have one because I think it would actually fix some of the problems where I'd like to have more of my good roof covered with solar panels instead of this stupid three-foot setback thing. Um, but I, I had a revelation this morning, a very Ooh. disturbing revelation. Birthday revelation. I was thinking about uh, I don't have a lot of south-facing roof where I have solar panels. And I was just looking at my production because I've said before I think I make half the amount of energy in the winter that I make in the summer. I was incorrect. I make a quarter of the amount of energy on the one set of solar panels in the winter than I do in the summer. So I can do 40 kilowatt hours a day at the peak of summer and in the dreariest, darkest part of winter, 10 kilowatt hours a day. It's upsetting. It's a problem with the uh, way you oriented uh, your panels if you've got shading and stuff. It's a big problem. That's right. The shading, right? So Shading's big shading, little shading. So I'm I'm assuming that they've worked out the shading issues with these tiles, but time will tell. Yeah. it's uh, There's a lot. It's also the pitch of your roof, right? Where we are in Southern California, I think it's around 30, uh, 32 degrees. If that roof is angled, you want the roof angled so that it sits perpendicular to the sunshine at the top of the day. And so as, as solar panels have dropped in price over the last 10, 20 years, these details are becoming less and less important because the cost of the panels are going down and down and down. So just throw solar on everything with the cost of the panels going down, and then you can make enough electricity without having to worry about which direction your roof is facing. Is it due south? Is it a little bit towards the west? Because in one area of the city, you might have more fog or, or overcast in the morning versus the evening. You know, it's like just do away with all these details by making the panels cheaper. Yeah, um, I think that's true, but that basically says for me, like if I want 100% replacement all year round, I'm going to have to have create four times as much energy in the summer than I do in the winter. What am I going to do with that extra energy? If everybody's doing that, where do you put it? Maybe you just switch them off during the, the high peak periods. It's an, it's an issue for renewable energy. It's an issue for solar, that uh, this intermittent nature and this change during the year. And I had some people really going off on the interwebs about it. But I said, thought to myself, yeah, there are challenges. But there are some challenges with burning coal and destroying your planet too. So we should put that in the mix. It is challenging. So uh, the Model 3 has got a big hole in it. What? Yeah. Where is it? Turns out it's got a big hole in it. What, is, it in the, is it in the bottom? No. Where the batteries? No, not in the where the batteries are. No, Tom. it's not there. It's not the ozone hole. It's not, not the ozone, ozone hole. No. Yeah. But according to Seeking Alpha, if you're going to make uh, the factory run really fast, right? Elon says you've got to uh, you know, have um, a dreadnought. And you've got to have robots go really quickly. And robots are really good at putting sort of big things together. And people have always been sort of in there putting little things together when they build cars. You know, yeah. put the little bits. The knobbly but the, bits. But the knobbly bits. Exactly, Thomas. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about the Model 3 with its panoramic glass roof, which goes all over the top of that thing, is that it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if that's the last thing you put on there, your Model 3's got a giant hole in it. Wait, hold on there. So you don't put the roof. But the question is, are... Or this is a great article about robots getting in there and doing the nitty of the gritties. Yes. But does that mean that no Model 3s have paint-colored roof options? I don't know, but they made it suggest that it's all panoramic all the time. So the last thing you put on is the roof so that you can put all this stuff in with your robot. And then the last little robot comes in and goes and slaps the roof on there. Yeah. Well, they, they could just make a plain panel for that section because that's, that's basically what they do now. Yeah. Yeah, that could be a steel Without glass the motors thing and inside, such. just all glass. 
But now also, if you order a Model S, sorry, Tom, sorry, Masons, now if you order a Model S, you can get the full panoramic roof anew. A new feature. When was that? Do I get, did I no, get that? No, you didn't. Did that just come out this week? Yeah. Yes. I don't know if I want it because it, you know, I have the X with the giant window and it gets really hot and I have to put a shade up there. Well, you want it. You want it because if I'm going to sit in your back seat, I will not fit very well with the standard uh, opaque roof. It's actually when you put in the panoramic roof with the the uh, sunroof, it actually gives an extra inch and a half of headroom in the back seat. You got out of that one. But you don't have to, drag I don't Robert have to around. take Robert anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Good other work, thing buddy. that's interesting, so that I have to go check it. Maybe I can add that option. Um, I'm really not sure about these panoramic roofs because I, as I was uh, configuring my S and looking at them, um, I was on the, the forums and some people saying this is just not a problem. It doesn't get hot. And Elon himself sent out a tweet, said, look, I'm pretty tall and I'm very fair skinned. And it's not a problem I uh, drive around in Southern California. I have other people on the forum saying, yeah, you effing kidding me? In the middle of summer, on a hot day, your head is like burning. (laughs) You have to put shades up there. So there seems to be some confusion. In the X, we have the big panoramic glass thing. And for my wife and I, not the tallest of people in the world. And even our heads, burny, burny, hot, hot. So we have to put on some shades in the middle of the winter. Although in the summer, in the winter, though, we've taken it off and it's gloriously large. So what I will say for you is it doesn't work for you. That's like that's all you need to know. Like oh, that that Tom. actually doesn't work for you. You shouldn't get it because you've done it and it doesn't Failed. seem to work. Well, I I'm going to do it anyway, but I'll just realize that for a significant part of the year I'll put up a shade because it's so nice in the winter right now to just have that glorious glass. Glorious. So, the glass roof is an option. Uh let's see. For cash, it's $1500 extra versus the sunroof which is $2000 extra. So I imagine, and from the picture I can see, it actually looks like one large piece of glass that is seamless. You would have a seam if part of the roof picked up and moved back uh, to make it a sunroof. So I think it looks really slick. I personally chose the opaque roof because I just despise having sun on the back of my head and neck. But talking with people who live in places like Phoenix, Arizona where the temperature is 120 degrees many days of the year these days, they just uh, have had it coated or, or covered with that ceramic uh, material that you can get to either dim your windows, you know, like uh, shade your windows, but they even have ceramic coatings that are clear. So that just reflects more heat. And maybe they're, they're upping the game with this glass, or maybe you just add that as an aftermarket uh, two $300 Option. Well, now that we've talked about our pluses and minuses of, of glass, we should get to the point of this article, which is the big giant hole in it is so the robots can get inside and put the thing together, uh, taking big giant modules of things like all of the other stuff gets built sort of outside and you put it in and click it together like a giant Lego is, is my guess. The other thing I noticed in some of these photos, no C-pillar on the Model 3. It looks like there's no C-pillar. Like That was one of the things that on part of this article mentioned was that without the C-pillar there, there's a little bit more room back there. So I thought that was interesting. So how's it going to work in a rollover test? I think it'll be fine. I, I mean, it does narrow out very much there, so there's a lot of structural integrity happening. Anyways, Robert is going to disagree with me right now. Yes, Tom. So the C-pillar is, is – you can't make a car without a C-pillar. I can't. Because – 
the C pillar is that that part of the metal that sits between the rear window and the rear side window. And I'm looking at it here in the pictures from the Tesla soccer game. So they have no B pillar? So there's no center pillar? What pillar is missing? No pillar is missing. It's a pillar of a car, man. No, there's all the pillars are there. I can see all the pillars. You need the C, you need the B pillar for the side view uh, forward-facing camera. That's where they're putting the side view forward-facing camera. All the pillars are there, Tom. Uh, and, and you, too, are a pillar of knowledge, but not on this topic. So the other thing that uh, Elon tweeted just recently over the last few days, was somebody direct tweeted him and say, well, since you've got such a beautiful big panoramic glass roof, why don't you put some solar panels in there? And he said, yep, probably going to do that on the Model 3. So now you're going to have your beautiful glass, you're going to have your solar panel in there, and we've done the math before and other people have done it. You might be able to sort of run your air conditioning, keep your car cool, and maybe even on a, a sunny day, Add four or five, six miles of range if you park that outside. Not a lot, but hey, may as well use it if you got it. If it's cheap, I'll clear something up from the do some clearing. From the speaking from the seeking alpha thing. There is a C pillar. What they did was a radical redesign, which eliminates the roof structure. So that's where that glass is, right? So there's usually a beam that runs across the roof from the two C pillars, uh-huh. and that beam is gone in this design. So there's no structural to the roof, which allows you to have that big glass window that goes all the way to, to the trunk. So area. pillar, but no crossy beam. Right. Crossy no bar beam. Bit. Pillar, but no beam. Well, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's talk about the bolt. Want to talk about the bolt? One, one, more, one final suggestion on so, this. When you look at these pictures yes. of the back seat, right, they have these really beefy headrests. I wish only they could have a, a feature that you could lean the headrest back like in the planetarium. You know, while you're, <laughs> someone yeah. else is driving, you could just lean back and look up at the sky and enjoy the view through that amazing glass panel. That has got to be bigger than the glass panel in your Model X. The uh, self-driving capabilities of the car would make that really cool. In fact, just tear out the front seats and put <laughs> beds in the damn thing and just drive around looking out the window all day. That'd be cool. Amazing. That would be awesome. So uh, the model, uh, the Bolt, let's talk about Bolt. Uh, Motor Trend did a review, a very long, extensive review. So these Bolts are actually coming off the lot at this point, and there's lots of review articles uh, that are coming out. So this very long review said, may I summarize? They compared the Bolt against the Model S. They the took 60, the specifically. 60, the 60. Sort of a stripped-down S versus a Bolt. And uh, they go through all of the things about you know, range and all the stuff, and they basically come out and say, these are two really good cars. They really like both of them. They sort of said, this really does move the needle to people who weren't sure about electric cars. These, are, these two cars are significantly different and significantly better than anything on the EV market before um, now. But their summary is, although they're both good cars, is the Tesla really $30,000 better than the Bolt? Because as configured, that was the difference. Big difference. Their summary was, no. The uh, Bolt is uh, a great car, not quite as good as the S, but it's uh, not the S is not $30,000 better, except for one thing, which really was a bit of a problem. And it's the fast charging, what? Tom. Really? Yeah, That's so out. fascinating. It's so the fast charging. So they completely emptied the S. They completely emptied the Bolt, or like down to like five miles. They charged up the S all the way to 100%, which you wouldn't do because it's really inefficient. But they did it all the way up, took about an hour. 
They did the same thing on the Bolt on the fast charging network, which should be called not so fast charging because at 50 kilowatts, it took two and a half hours. Still Oof. pretty good, though. I mean, that's not, not if I'm on a road trip, but it's not pretty good, mate. No, of course it's not. But again, this is going all the way up to the top, which means we know the end of it was slowed right? down a little bit. It is a 60 kilowatt hour. So, but it's faster than you thought it was going to be. I plugged in to a charger at a sheriff station last night that was rocking about 190 volts. And uh, it was super slow. It was giving me like 18 miles an hour. Yeah, and then I... I stopped at the Gilroy Supercharger on my way up to the Bay Area. There was a bit of a fiasco there. I don't know if you want me to talk about this now, my little rant. But go, go tell us. Superchargers are fantastic. God, what a great invention. If only you could freaking get into one. I you know, this is what drives me crazy. My blood pressure just went up. Now I'm at 220 over 110. I was trying to get out of LA, right? I'm driving out of LA. On Monday, was it Tuesday? I can't even freak. It was Tuesday last week. Trying to get out of L.A. I had just come home from a night shift. So thankfully, my lovely wife was going to drive and ended up driving the entire route. So we go to the Culver City Supercharger because I just needed a few miles. I don't know, 40, 50 miles to get up to uh, Tejon Ranch. And what do I find when I get there? I actually tweeted a picture. I a bunny. A, I did a panoramic picture, in fact, of 12 full slots, or was it 10, and six more cars waiting. And people getting kind of in each other's face, honking the horn because one dude didn't pull into the lot, uh, the, the slot fast enough to start charging so the next guy in line could get his charging. So it was just, it was kind of nasty, and I didn't like it. So we left. Where did we go? Rerouted to Burbank. Okay, there's a Burbank charger on the way. So we're driving, the, tra- the traffic's getting worse. We get to Burbank, and guess what I find? Full supercharger. Yeah, the Burbank one's busy. Three people waiting. So we wait there for a little while, and then after about 15, 20 minutes, get in, charge. And, and I was miffed, right? We've just added about an hour to our drive, maybe an hour and a half total. And so finally we get the hell out of there, and we go to... Gilroy. And what do we find at Gilroy? Oh, we're charging in Gilroy. Well, Gilroy was a, you know, a, a third stop down the road. 118 kilowatts we're charging at. That's like the fastest charge I've ever been at. That was fantastic. That was 342 miles per hour of charge. So wow. if only we could have superchargers that are available Thank you. and running at full speed, then yes. the supercharger network would really be a true network. So if, if Tesla kind of slips on this, we're going to have trouble keeping up, I guess, as a brand. I'm speaking as if I'm Tesla, but I'm not. But we're going to have trouble keeping up with the competition. What Talk. were the Burbank speeds? Uh, uh, Do you remember? I'm not supposed to say those words because we're trying to get off the E-list. What's the like, E-list? What's the E-list? The e-list when you're when you're making a podcast and you're swearing and people can't listen to you on oh. their company provided cell try and, phones. Try and give us the number without swearing. Okay, yeah, it's a number, so, not a curse word. Seventy-two. So, uh, Robert, I've been anxious <laughs> for a year and a half about the uh-huh. uh, supercharger network on the show, and um, now I'm distraught. 
Okay, so the planet is being destroyed. There's mm-hmm. too much CO2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as clean coal, even yeah. though everybody keeps talking about it. Okay. And now the supercharger network, which was sort of under duress, uh, you know, a year ago when there weren't that many Teslas, is apparently collapsing in the LA area because there are so many Teslas. Oh, my gosh. This is a problem. If you're going to start having fights between Tesla owners about charging, the world has ended as we know it. Well, they need to start putting them in places that they're not. So, again, I drove to Valencia last night to uh, do a winter ice sport. People might know it as curling. And <laughs> it's not a sport, but go on. How dare you? It's a great and noble sport. Mm-hmm. Go on. Built by your forefathers in Scotland. Thank you so very much. I'm Irish, but go on. Really? So they I made curled a mistake. in Scotland? I, apparently, we don't know. I don't know where Ireland, Scotland, Denmark, or Netherlands are. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get there. I'm having some global crisis, apparently. But there's no supercharger. And honestly, there's very little charger up in that area. I went to the PlugShare app, and most it of the ones near, near where I was said wall charger, wall charger, wall charger. And the sheriff's department has a lovely charger. And there's a lot of negative comments about sheriffs that put their cars there and don't charge them. But last night there was an open slot and I plugged in and it was like 30 amps. And again, it was like 100 or so, uh, 198 watts. And I was like 18 miles an hour. Right. That is very slow. Yeah. Very, very slow. That's like, uh, again, we have to have that, that range of like ultra slow, slow, moderate, <laughs> And fast. Right. So level two slow, very slow. But the bonus of this Bolt thing, anyways, they charged it on a 50 kilowatt hour level three DC fast charger from six miles to full, which on the Bolt is like a 270 miles. So it's a lot of miles. I know that's not what it's rated. Don't look at me like that. That's what people are getting. Whatever. And two and a half hours is pretty good. It's not super, but I'll tell you this, at an hour of waiting for a supercharger or driving to the next supercharger, it sort of seems to start evening out a bit. Oh, uh, if they sell as many bolts as I think they will, don't worry. You'll be waiting at these charges <laughs> as well. Yeah. The a lot point, longer, too. The point is, again, why won't Elon listen to me? Do you listen to this podcast, Elon? Elon. Give us the roadmap. When are you going to tell us how many more superchargers? You said you are going to double the supercharger network. That's great. We don't want it doubled. We need it 10 times as big. You're going to make a million of these things a year? A year? Dude, you have to make 10 times as many superchargers, for goodness sake. Is this where we, we need an order of magnitude more superchargers? Thank you. In fact, that's exactly what we need, 10 times as many. All right, so let me interject. It turns out if you look at the rate of supercharger installation and go live – it is now starting to ramp up in the United States. Evidently, they, they tend to, it seems they tend to shift their focus. So Europe was a huge supercharger infrastructure build-out. And if you think about it, a year and a half ago, there were a lot less superchargers, like a couple orders of magnitude less superchargers in Europe. And now Europe is just covered. So now... Uh, and then they focused on China. And China went from like two superchargers. Now China's got, I don't know, 80. I mean, it's got a huge number of superchargers there, and they're ramping up China huge because I think they're planning on that being one of the like the second largest market outside U.S., and that includes all of Europe. And so lastly, here, we're getting superchargers. So now news is that Nebraska has gotten its supercharger. In fact, three superchargers. They've got superchargers in Lincoln, Gothburg, and Ogallala, which I love the names. That reminds me of fresh water. 
never mind. Anyway, so now uh, with the superchargers they recently added in Iowa, you can do the whole I-80 corridor. So you can drive from Denver to Chicago all on supercharger without having to do any like runarounds and, and longer trip runarounds. So that's really good. And I also made a note that I think it was last week, maybe, that in Santanella, where Pea Soup Anderson's is, there's a supercharger. It was not live when I passed through, and I'm going to check it out on the way back home. But that would put superchargers every 150 miles along I-5. And again, I think that's their plan. And when they start bunching them up, like near Bakersfield and Fort Tejon, you've got three superchargers with like 30 slots. It's about 30 slots within like a 15-mile run of the highway. That's what we really need to see. And we need to see that more in Los Angeles, quite honestly. LA has so many Teslas. I mean, you cannot walk outside without getting struck by a Tesla. Um, (laughs) They're everywhere. We need 10x more superchargers just in LA. And that's just for the next year or two. But that's not his – his point is not to put superchargers in people's home areas – but there are so many Teslas here and they're going north or you're just about to go on a trip or you're going down to San Diego. It's just – I just consider it a problem. Oh, here's another question then, Robert. Okay, yes. so you know we need to build out the supercharger network. It's making me real anxious. Did your app uh, pop up and say, uh, oh, I'm going to go over to uh, charge over at this uh, supercharger? Did your app say, oh, well, it's kind of full right now and people are stabbing each other in the heart. Maybe you should go over to Burbank? Oh, it didn't. No. Oh, <laughs> um, Really? In Why fact, don't you fix that as well? How's the Let's get some software fixes to this as well, saying, blink, blink, guess what? There's a lot of waiting at this supercharger. There's a lot of waiting at this supercharger. When I get in my car so I can sort of work out where I should go supercharge. Maybe. It's a little software thing. Privacy concerns. Bullshit. Okay. <laughs> we I'm want saying our charge. There, I'm not saying you're there. I'm just saying there's a lot of people there, and they're stabbing each other in the heart because they have to wait 20 minutes to get into supercharger. They should send an ambulance if they're all getting stabbed in the heart. I'll tell you that right now. I think it's time for a new movement. It's called Occupy Supercharger. Okay, that didn't go over very well. <laughs> no, that's really a bad idea. <laughs> Look, I just I know that people are getting pissed off at me, and uh, just the Supercharger Network. Uh, let me just be calm. I don't care how good the car is. I don't um, care how wonderful it is. If you want to say that this car is a replacement for a standard ICE vehicle, you have to have an infrastructure that supports that. We haven't had lines up at the gas station since the 70s. Thank you very much. And that much. wasn't because there weren't pumps. It was there because was there no weren't fuel. gas. I'm just saying you can't do this. This is a public relations nightmare. And we're only talking about a minor ramp up in production at the moment. We're not talking about 400,000 cars, Melvis. 400,000. Year one. Imagine... Ten times as many Model 3s driving up the coast, driving up the five. Imagine an order of magnitude. (laughs) I'm just saying. Now, the other thing that you can do to fix this, of course, is to have 80 amp chargers all over the place. So that some of these people plugging out the supercharger network are like, well, I don't really need to get out of here in 10 minutes. I've got 30 minutes to spare. I just need to be like, you know, 30 miles. If you had, as you have at uh, Hawthorne, Lots and lots of not-so-fast superchargers, but they need to be everywhere. I need to. I want to walk outside not only to get hit by a Tesla. When I get hit by that Tesla, I want it to fly me through the air, and then I smash into a supercharger <laughs> or a fast AC charging network. A destination charger, as it were. Thank you. 
So I was going to uh, comment on the fact that when I was in Burbank, I was impressed with, number one, 75% of the cars were new because they didn't even have plates on them yet. And I sat there and looked at people. So I'm, you know, I'm all packed up. There's crap in the back seat. It's obvious that I'm not just, well, whatever. I'm on the road. And so I pull up next to a person. I'm not going to try and identify them in any way. And they're sitting in their car reading the paper. And I can see that they have on their map their home. And it's like like a very short distance. And they're sitting there sucking up electrons to go all the way up to like nearly a full charge. And I'm like, I, I just, I was trying to contain myself. I didn't want to be kind of like Tesla, uh, Tesla fiend or a charge fiend, but I wish there was some way we could help people understand that there is one thing called opportunity charging and there's another thing called necessity charging. And necessity charging is I need enough freaking electrons to get up to the next supercharger so I can keep my trip going versus, you know what, go plug it into your freaking wall plug at home for three miles an hour overnight for 16 hours and, you know, you'll have enough electricity. Chill, chill. That person wasn't going home, Robert. That person had got a call from their dying grandmother that the puppy was sick and that they needed to drive 300 miles to go and save this puppy, and he needed to get the full charge, I'm just saying. No, you don't anybody, know. anybody who's using the superchargers within their neighborhood shouldn't be, Robert, Culver City supercharger. Do you ever use it? I do, but I was driving to, to the Bay Area. The, but the point is that you know, the reality is people know that they're paying for this stuff up uh, up ahead of time. They're paying forward and they're going to want to get some of that back. And I don't blame them, but you don't need to do it like too extreme, to obscene levels. Yeah, if people are waiting, there needs to be some sort of etiquette involved, but there isn't. It's And, and let's be honest, there there's a class of folks on some levels, a lot of people, not all of them, probably not even a big percentage of them who are buying these Teslas and they're, they're maybe, they may be at the moment members of an entitlement class and they just don't understand what's happening and they're not being educated about it and no one's sitting down and saying, hey buddy, mm, you shouldn't do this. So if you're listening and you're with that guy in Burbank and you're listening to the show, if you don't need to charge and there's cars waiting, pull out, get out of there. Um, yeah. I think if the supercharger network is... Um based on people doing the right thing, then my experience <laughs> is that people usually don't do the right thing. But these are our listeners, Mel. So they, they want to do the right thing. They just need education to get them to do the right thing. That's why we're here. I think there's a more fundamental philosophic theologic issue with uh, <laughs> humans. Oh, goodness. I'm just saying on on today's theme, which is Mel's having an existential crisis. <laughs> I don't want the supercharger network to be based on people doing the right thing to each other. Of course, mostly they won't. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there's a little bit of any uh, Tesla propaganda, and it's really not that important, but I just wanted to say that it was from Electric! <laughs> <laughs> And this was a lawsuit uh, that's going against this um, oil executive who was impersonating Elon. Todd Katz was his name, who actually doesn't deny that he was pretending to be Elon to try and get some information from Elon. Um, but he says, uh, you shouldn't sue me anyway because, uh, you know, it's not that big a deal. So this co idea of corporate espionage, uh, people going after Tesla, it's bad. Tesla's trying to do the right thing. Corporate espionage is not new, but come on. 
this guy, he, uh, he's a stupid idiot. What's really effed up about this is, uh, well, two things, really. The first thing is that Tesla tried to figure out who this dude was. So they sent an employee, at least this is what's alleged, sent an employee to the local Best Buy. I'm loving this. And they popped into a cell phone at the local Best Buy, and they looked this guy up. They looked up his Twitter account, and allegedly the person from Tesla was able to crack into the Twitter account to find out the information of who was behind it, which I thought was, I thought that was pretty cool, although maybe not so, you know, legal, but the courts will will read this out. The thing that really bothered me the most, though, were the aliases this guy Katz used. Did you see that? What were they? Elon Madoff. (laughs) And he also used... Enron Musk. Mm. Yes. And this is um. at, his, at his Twitter account called at Valuation Matters. But this, this was really quite a smeary scheme and really low-handed. And I, I, I would bet that the, that the oil execs are not doing this to each other. Uh, um, who knows? Look, Elon went on a Twitter storm. And uh, we talked about it. He recommended the panoramic roof. He thinks it's amazing. Um, in addition, we reinforced the surrounding body structure and improved safety. We were already five stars. So I was a bit worried about that. If you've got a whole glass roof, is that going to be bad? And he said, no, it's going to be fine. And then in a direct tweet, as we talked about, he suggested that they could put solar panels in this panoramic roof. I just found it interesting, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that uh, Elon goes on these tweet storms and just like goes off. And it was a tweet storm last week. We should also note, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, since we're talking about the, now you've got this new panoramic roof on the S, that inside EVs said that the uh, P90 has been killed. It's which, dead. Which leaves a huge gap of $40,000 between the 90D and the P100D. So when are they going to drop the P from the 100D and bring it in at a cost that is less than 40000 more than the 90D? So you're suggesting there'd be 200Ds in this scenario. Yes, I think one what without a P. Yes, I think what they you're going to see is that they'll probably drop the ninety D, and they'll you'll just have a seventy five with a software limited sixty. You'll have a hundred, and it can be software limited to ninety. Although I don't know why you would bother at that point. And then you can have your P versions of those uh, things. So that'll just sort of make the skews a little easier. Do we need three options? Do we need four options? How many options do we need? Well, there's a science behind the three tiers of pricing, obviously, right? You have that middle tier, so you drive a lot of people. Some people get driven up, and most people are like, I'll take that middle one. Exactly. Right? Like, that's, there's like actual purchasing science into that. So, getting rid of that, maybe this is the interesting thing. It doesn't get rid of it, but in this giant car manufacturing situation, the efficiencies of or the increased sales may not make up for the deficiencies in production that would arise from having so many options on the line. Yeah, I think because the battery is so expensive still, um, the difference between a 60 and a 100 is an enormous amount of cash. I wonder how it will change five years from now if there's a huge difference. There isn't a huge difference that all of these cars, as we've talked about, might just have a giant battery, but then the downside is the weight. Right. You're not going to get a situation where they're putting a hundred in every car and there's a 60, 70, 80, you know, version that, that seems a little bit silly, but I don't, I actually don't understand why you think having a 90 to a hundred is, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's still an additional five or six grand as of right now. Well, it doesn't make sense to me because it's like that. It's not that much range difference between 90 and a hundred. 
Um, so I can see a difference between 75 and 100. I can see the difference between 90 and 120. But, but 60, 90 and 100? 60 and 85? 60 and 85? Yeah, meh. I don't know what that magic number is to make it worthwhile. But If there wasn't a Model 3 coming, I would say why not have 60, 80, and 100? In other words, spread them out evenly. I've been coaching a few friends this week through purchases of Teslas. I have It's sort of like raising a child, kind of. It's actually enjoyable, but also frustrating. Um, but I've been on the website looking at details on Tesla a lot lately. And I think that the, the ability to buy up after you've purchased the car is a really strong uh, mechanism. So people are choosing a car and they're saying, wow, if I can choose, you know, the 90 and not pay money up front for the 100, but later upgrade the battery by software, that really turns people on. Because the reality is that once you get the car, uh, you kind of want more, right? That's what I've told people in the past. If you're getting the car and you're not sure if you want the the uh, tech package, I say get the tech package because you're kind of going to want it later because it's pretty darn cool. Same thing for the air suspension. So if people can just click that on for another three grand, four grand, I think that's awesome. But the price you pay to click it later is pretty substantial, right? Like for the autopilot program, it's $8,000 now and $10,000 later. And that's a that's 25% interest rate or 20% interest rate. It's a big amount of money. And, you know, but people seem to be really charged up haha, and <laughs> like that option. Well, it's the other thing to talk about then is um, the max capacity of the battery. And it goes back to the supercharger. So Elon has suggested in a tweet a few weeks ago, 100 is probably where they'll top out. But again, a way to help resolve some of these supercharger issues is have a larger battery. So that for common commutes like LA, San Francisco, if you had a 120 kilowatt hour battery in that thing, you could drive the entire way, charge up at home all the way, and then drive all the way to San Francisco and plug in at the other end at your a hotel and charge there and not have to use the supercharger network at all. That's another reason to have a bigger battery. I hope they don't stop at 100. So what you're saying is that way all the S drivers who have the big giant batteries, they won't have to stop and the only the Model 3 drivers will care about the supercharger network. So screw them? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying screw them. You need to do both. I'm just saying to relieve the pressure on the supercharger network. I, just, I was just, I was just testing you. I just wanted to see where well, you I were. Well, I hope with to that. be a model three owner. I don't want to screw myself. That's weird. But I'm just saying that's another way around it, right? That could reduce some of the strain. I'd like to go back to that. You hope to be a model three owner. So again, is the plan still when the model three comes out? You're getting rid of the brand new S that's currently on order right now and going back to the Model 3. The torture that I have right now <laughs> is quite substantial. All right. I was just curious. I put an order in, mm-hmm. and uh, they're building it. Yeah. Uh, they took my uh, $2,500 deposit, said thank you very much, cashed it. We appreciate it. And um, then I'm thinking, I'm in that, oh, my gosh, new stuff's going to come out. They're going to come out with 100 tomorrow, and I'm going to like, oh, damn, I want the 100 uh, without the P. And at a reasonable price. And uh, I'm a bit tortured by it, Tom. Um, but I still have my uh, deposits down for two Model 3s. And then I'm like, if they actually bring them out in 2017, I'll have an X and an S that which are still within lease. But I'm going to want a Model 3 just because it's smaller. I might have to get one for Tom and use oh. it on weekends. <laughs> but so 
So there's a couple things happening, right? If people are really paying attention to what you're saying about this, you're like, yes, I want the Model 3, but I want 100 because I want more range. I'm hoping the Model 3 will have the option of gigantic range. It'll have a 100 kilowatt hour battery and a smaller lighter car that'll go 380 miles. Am I dreaming? You're you're smoking. You're smoking because yeah, it's not going to be not, lighter. That's not that car. It's made out of steel. That's one of the things that made Model S... It's not made out of babies. Babies. Babies are light. Steel is heavy. Baby, baby, uh, baby ferrous molecules. The, the Model 3 is made out of steel. That's what's keeping its cost down. And the reason that the Model S was able to go as far as it could was not only its aerodynamics, but the fact that the whole freaking thing is made out of aluminum, which is really expensive to manipulate. And really, it's a testament to Tesla's engineering and production that we're not having problems with the, the, the structure of the car, right? That whole thing they got. They just didn't get it on the falking wing doors. <laughs> um. I wish we knew. Maybe we should have a Model 3 reveal event, perhaps, for example, to say just exactly how much range is this car going to have? What are going to be the options? Could we have that soon? But let's assume we're never going to get to the point, maybe not never, but within the first couple of iterations of it, you're not going to get a battery that's going to get you 320 miles or 318 miles or whatever the max capacity of the S is currently what say you now, Doctor? Uh, five to ten minutes ago wasn't a big deal. <laughs> when Robert talks about people stabbing each other in the heart <laughs> at the <laughs> supercharger network, I would kind of like to bypass the supercharger network because I, I, it's happened to me a few times, and it's it really I find it distressing. I'm tired. I'm driving back from a trip. The supercharger network's full. Everybody's waiting. And you're like, this is a pain in the butt. Boy, it'd be nice to have a battery that's 400 miles and just blow on by and charge it home. Right. You're a range guy, not a luxury oh. guy, yeah. but you're a very, very definitive range guy. Always have been yeah. from the very beginning of this yeah. this path like, of EV-ness. Like the range. Right. So again, you know, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but you ain't getting a Model 3. Uh, are, are you saying probably love right. you, love you, long range, love you, love you, long range, <laughs> love, you <Yeah>. long, <laughs> love you, long range. Good if one. they, uh, it is true. It's um, we could do sort of uh, a poll on that. What's more important to you, um, toys in the car? What's more important to you, speed in the car, range in the car? I'm definitely. I could give a crap about going uh, zero to sixty in two point one seconds. Yeah, that'd be a fun little ride to go on once, but I don't need that in my car. I'm not paying for that. I want. Huge range. So that's that was part of test, uh, Elon's tweet storm, right? Was that the P100D is going to get a little upgrade in its speed, which I think is completely crazy. But it sure does get a lot of news and a lot of press and probably, you know, is worth it to the company because, you know, you could spend $5 million on advertising or you could just drop the speed another tenth of a second or a tenth and a half of a second and get God knows how many YouTubes and blah, blah, blah out there. So that's something that's coming, and I think that's going to be really exciting. I thought that was uh, – when I first heard that, and he made it sound like over this tweet that you they'll be able to software upgrade the speed of the, the acceleration of the P100D, my first reaction was, really? This is becoming stupid. It's so fast now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> now it's just becoming – 
silly. But I guess that's why you do it. It's like if you make it a bit faster, then, oh, look, there's another 3,000 videos on YouTube of Hellcats versus Teslas and the Teslas winning it by even further. And so that's good advertising. But it seems very stupid at this point. And I don't know what kind of person it attracts. Apparently a lot of people because there's a lot of videos of people going really fast. Guys who would otherwise buy a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Maserati, Top End, an Aston Martin. I mean, those is not that big of a market, but already we've seen Tesla outstrip the, the major luxury automakers like time and time again in sales. Those are it's the just, guys parked at the Burbank Supercharger, just for the record, <laughs> waiting to go two miles to their house. Well, then we could probably, drag racing. Sorry. We could probably predict that the next Supercharger is going to be installed in Brentwood. <laughs> the next one after that in Beverly Hills. South Bay. And then in the Agoura Hills and Calabasas. There's a reason that you shouldn't have a car that's faster than the current Tesla, and it's uh, from Jalopnik. And it is a Model S, which crashed in downtown India. I was just in downtown India, and there are trees there. Both of the people in this car, unfortunately, were killed as the car burst into flames. And the fire captain was very careful to say this because the video is all over the internet, and you see this Tesla, beautiful Tesla, in flames. Two people have died. It's a tragic event. There's also some individual batteries that appear to be going pop, pop, pop which is a bit disturbing. but And so a lot of people have come out and said, see, Teslas, they burn, they go on fire. The fire marshal himself, right after this event, after they'd put it out, said, yeah, it can be a little challenging to put out these lithium fires. You have to use a lot more water. But let make me let me make one thing very clear. In any car, petrol, diesel, lithium, if you had to hit a pole at the speed that this car was going, it will explode into flames. There was even some suggestion that they hit this at such high speed that maybe this was suicide attempt because they were just going full on and boom. We don't know if that's true or not, but the point is we don't need the car to go any faster. It's plenty fast enough to explode and kill you right now. Yeah, it was pretty exciting uh, you know, to see how much news there was generated by this one crash. How many, let's think back. Let's think back. Uh, A year. How many Teslas caught fire in the last year? Wait, let's just go back to the beginning of Model S. How many Model S's? I haven't seen an X do this because, of course, soccer moms don't drag race. Wait, that's not true. Never mind. How many Model S's have caught fire? How many do you remember? Uh, I remember three. Three. This one? And then two sort of on the freeway before they put the titanium plate on the bottom of the car. Oh, the one at the supercharger. Oh, they had the one at the supercharger. It didn't burn, though. It melted. Yeah. There was one in Mexico. There was one in Mexico as well. I mean, I can kind of remember six. How many gasoline cars caught fire last year? A lot. I can't more remember than any. six would be my guess. But there's a lot more of them. Do we want to talk orders of magnitude? Yes. Oh, God, of course we do. That's what we live for on this show, to talk orders of magnitude. It's our, How about it's this our number? Holy 176,000. That's a lot of magnitudes. Isn't it? <laughs> what is that? How does that compare uh, to the percentage of ice cars well i did the number because i had dave of jess and dave who have been on um going zero and he said what's the deal with these uh, fires and i said uh well it's a good question there was a problem and they put the plate on there and that didn't seem to be a problem anymore and i looked at this inside d's article which suggests that we don't have lots of data yet but it appears that teslas catch on fire at a rate of one third to one half of similarly uh, driven ice vehicles inside deeps article inside 
Deeves. Inside no, EVs. Yeah. <laughs> Inside Deeves. <laughs> Inside EVs. So Sorry. these appear to catch fire significantly less Half than the gas rate, cars. you're saying. Half, Half or even, even less than that, potentially. Yeah. Because since uh, they put on that titanium thing, which seemed to be a problem, you're at freeway speeds, there's a metal object on the ground, and you smack into your big battery that's on the bottom of the car. There was a couple of fires from that. But they fixed that by putting a little titanium shield on there. Yeah. So and an aluminum crush plate. Uh, so an when aluminum does- crush bar. When does BP buy all of the media stations and really just start pushing these Tesla Tesla fire stories? For I, if I was those? BP, if I was one of these people, what I would do is I'd buy a whole bunch of them and I'd crash them at very high speeds. <laughs> Autonomously. Yeah, like, like put, an, put an entire tank of gas in the, in the frunk. So when the car <laughs> smashes, the it flames out. Wow. You know, it's probably people are going to try and do that. But hopefully our fire investigators will be smart enough to figure that part out. Uh, speed kills, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I do worry about that. That's honestly why I kept saying I don't want something that can accelerate that fast because I don't want to be one of those people who accidentally slips there from the from the brake to the accelerator. Now I'm going at a tremendous rate of speed, and then I get confused and I don't know where the brake is. And right, my car accelerates. My car accelerates plenty. Zero to sixty in five seconds, which is what my car does, feels like a rocket ship. Well, again, I think that a lot of this is driven by the press that they get and how much exposure they get. And yeah, go for it, man. Why not be the fastest car, the cleanest car, the coolest looking car, an incredibly comfortable car, an amazingly roomy car? Why not be the best of everything? That's how we like things in a America, A car that can charge it? up at a supercharger network in five minutes. That'd be cool. The meltiest car. The meltiest car. Home energy storage. This is from Glee, uh, Green Tech Media. Mercedes has launched their U.S. home battery storage. We've been hearing about this for a while, but it's finally coming in 2017. These batteries, though, are only 2.7 kilowatt hours, but you can stack them up and get 20 kilowatt hours. Yeah. We don't know how much it's going to cost. Um, but this is sort of just uh, an ongoing area where a lot of people are sort of getting into the market because they believe this is going to be big. The question I have is, what is the magic number of kilowatt hours to get into this? Most people think that they need to get home battery storage less than $200 per kilowatt hour installed. Okay? Um, They're currently at about $430 for the Powerwall tool, which is about $6,000 installed. So it's still probably too expensive for most people to do it from an economic point of view. Very expensive, and I think so... At 200 kilowatt hours, I did the math for the average home, which uses 30 kilowatt hours of energy a day, and it's about a four-year break-even point at 14 kilowatt, 14 cents per kilowatt hour. However, you know the, that's not really a price a lot of people are paying for the difference between their peak and and normal energy, right? So you're talking maybe two or three cents difference. So the break-even point becomes astronomical. At that point. Well, it depends because, as an example, Grandpa, living down the road here, Grandma, uh, they get electricity from a group that is about to change their tiering, and the difference between peak and off-peak is going to be more than 20 cents a kilowatt hour. Okay, so that's At good. that point, these power walls become very cost-effective very quickly, and in places like Hawaii, it can be 40 cents. Hawaii. It's crazy. Yeah, Massachusetts as well. But what's really important to consider is how much the energy differential is in region by region as well as net metering because I think still net metering is the key to this right now. Arizona, Hawaii, Germany, places where you cannot net meter anymore because 
their systems. I don't know. For whatever reason, they don't want to take that hit. They want to, whatever, sell all the electricity that they can. They're not Germany's sake, but Arizona's sake, anti-solar. And so was uh, some other states. So this battery is going to go in those places. The other thing is, how much energy do you use at peak hour? So I, I don't tend to be home at that time of the day. And a lot of people who work don't tend to be home at that time of the day. All you're running is a refrigerator. So, you know, big deal. Big deal. When you get home, right, peak, peak energy is usually like noon to 6 p.m. If you don't come home until 5 or 6, then you're running on low-cost energy, and you don't need to get this. Well, for most people, peak is after like 5 or 6 o'clock. That's when most people come home and they turn on their TVs and they put on the crock pot and they do all the stuff. So most of that is in the evening. But the, I guess the point is the, these batteries are coming down in price substantially. For some people already, this is cost effective. Um, we had a letter, and I think we'll, we'll get to it later, which is about, but does this really get you off grid? And of course, I've talked about it you know, 1,200 times. It doesn't really help a person get off grid if they have a big house with a lot of energy and a couple of electric cars. So if I use 30 kilowatt hours a day for my house, and I use 30 kilowatt hours a day per car, let, let me drive 50 miles or so per car per day, I'm at 100 kilowatt hours a day that I need. So this little power wall was really cool, was 14 kilowatt hours in there. It's not going to get it done for me if I wanted to be off grid. I need something that has like 200 kilowatt hours, and currently that is way too expensive for an individual to buy. Except, of course, if I was living in the middle of nowhere, I'd just add it to the cost of my house. But I don't. I can still buy the grid for less. I, I still think that this ignores the fact that uh, more and more people are going to be having cars that have batteries in them, which would be a natural sink for a lot of electricity that you could pump out to your house. And what keeps any of us from doing that is the cost of the electricity at the chargers, right? So here's a bomb. I went to look online for some detail while we're talking here, an electric, I think, what's it called? Electric! Came out just now with this article that says Tesla officially announces end of unlimited free supercharging. Excuse me? Hello? Tesla, what? Tesla officially announces end of unlimited free supercharging. And they're going to start a credit program in 2017 where they give you 400 kilowatt hours of free supercharging credits a year with every, new super, with every new Tesla order, and then a, quote, small fee will be charged for supercharging after the credits are used. So basically, they're giving you about 100 mi- 1,000 miles of range when you buy the car, and then pay after that. So now, if that's really the case, and they're going to set a standard, we might not see so many people t- topping up at the supercharger, and... It may not be so uh, such a good idea if you're thinking, oh, I'll just drive my 100-kilowatt-hour Tesla to the supercharger and then come back home and run all my stuff for the next two, three days. Actually, uh, I think this is a great thing. Um, if you say supercharging free forever, then people are going to be people and they're going to just want to charge at the superchargers all the time. Supercharging should be for distance travel. It should be for travelers. So actually, I think this is a great economic incentive. But I don't think they'll they'll end up, they might start with a small charge. But for this to work, people are going to do the math in a second. And so uh, those people that just want to charge at the supercharger network, let's say it's five cents per kilowatt hour. Whereas at home, they're charging up at 20 cents per kilowatt hour. 
that five cents is not going to be a big enough disincentive. So I think at some point you'll see this go up and up and up to the point where uh, they have to make it so that it's just easier and better to charge at home. Yeah, I agree. I got another thing here about battery tech. It's from Electric again. So a group of Tesla owners on the Dutch, Belgium, oh my gosh, we're going to get into it later, Tesla forum gathering data from uh, 286 Model S's. And they're sort of combining all their data about how much capacity they have. And over the first 50,000 miles, we've talked about this in the past, it looks like you'll lose about 5% capacity in that battery. But then it actually slows down. And so over time, if you drive 200,000 miles, it looks like you're going to have 90% capacity. We talked about it a few weeks ago with Test Loop, which has the car which may have the most miles of any car in the world, which has still you know, over 90% capacity. And then they try to divide this out. And this is where the data is interesting. They tried to look at things like if you use the supercharger a lot versus didn't use the supercharger a lot, did that affect um, the battery's range over time? And counterintuitively, it looks like from their data, which is not randomized, and I get it, all that stuff, it looks like charging at a supercharger frequently did not re- increase the degradation of this battery. In fact, it appeared to make battery degradation less at the supercharger than at your home. But are they... Did they take into account whether you were charging your battery full, like to 100%, or if you're at the normal 80%? Was that factored into that? Because I think a lot of people who use supercharging, if they're going distance, right, may be having their battery at full, which, again, is another counterintuitive thing, but I don't know if that's happening or not. Yeah, there's not really – they try and divide all those things out, and, again, it's not sort of randomized, and it's not not scientifically done. It's just like, you remember, I tend to do this much. But it appeared – for supercharging itself that it wasn't hurting, um, they did try and break out by whether you charged, tended to charge all the way up. And again, they didn't really find much difference. So the I, the concept was that the cooling, um, the, uh, the car itself has gotten so smart that battery degradation doesn't appear to be an issue the way we thought it was going to be five years ago. That, oh my gosh, never fill it all the way up and never use a supercharger. Doesn't seem to be an issue with these new uh batteries or the way it is with some of the leafs you know which are having battery degradation right, because of the cooling and it seems mm-hmm. that cooling is a big issue yeah. so i did some math ooh. and it's ooh. Uh, my math goes like this let's say you've got a 300 mile battery so okay. you've got one of the big ones in an s right now and you drove twenty five thousand miles a year which is a lot that's like 35 40,000 kilometers that's, like that's a lot and you did that uh for 20 years your car would still have 240 miles of range at the end of that 20 years that is Unbelievable. Now, that's a number based on Elon's testing, right? Like he's yes. saying testing suggests at 500,000 miles, you'll have 80% of battery. I would love to see what a Tesla looks like with 500,000 <laughs> miles on it because that is a, a lot. It's a, it's a shit ton of okay, miles. Okay, so you got your metric oh ton. God. Yeah, you got your American ton and you got your shit ton. Yeah. So, yeah, Elon said that they believe that in their internal testing that you'll have 80% range after 500,000 miles. And at that point, what you're saying is true. There are so many other things that are going to wear out by 500,000 miles. The yeah. battery is not the problem. Well, that just tells you that, you know, Tesla is ensuring that its service centers have a lot of work for a long time to come. They're going to need more seats. They're going to need, you know, replacement screens if they go out. I wonder what will be the first major thing to go out once all the cars hit their sort of reliability, uh, I don't know. Uh, baseline. Well, we found that the first thing that broke was the motors, but they appear to have fixed that problem. Yeah. Well, you also get into a situation 
where you have a lot of cars, potentially, a few, I don't know, 100,000 of these cars that have a lot longer battery life than actual car life, right? And we've talked about this before. What is going to be that long-term use for the batteries? Is there going to be a way to use these batteries in your homes to give you, you know, like, again, if you had a 100 battery and your car, you know, down the line was dead and it had 80% of its capacity, that's a lot of kilowatt hours available to Mm -hmm. power your home. I remember back when we were talking about this, many, many months ago, the envisioning of having some guy with a farm and instead of having all this old dilapidated rusting farm equipment out front, he'd have like two, three Teslas parked out there with grass and shit growing all over them, but they're all plugged in (laughs) and the energy's going in during the day with all the solar panels and back out at night to run the house and all the farm. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that. And one thing that kind of made me nervous about this, right, is that supercharging was good, right? Supercharging is good. It makes your batteries last longer. It actually looks like it's good for batteries. I don't hardly ever supercharge my Tesla. Oh, you need to go and get a supercharger and uh, make, it, make it good. So I got to drive to Burbank, piss off Robert, <laughs> sitting there reading the Wall Street Journal, even though he knows my house is only 15 miles away. I'm not, I got news for you. I'm not driving to Burbank and being like, oh, uh, where are you driving to? Oh, to Hone Ranch? Well, then please go ahead of me. I'm going to Burbank. And I'm going to charge my car and leave when it's charged. <laughs> it's upsetting. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, Electric Avenue CNET uh, noted that uh, the U.S. government is going to establish 48 EV charging corridors. This is a consortium of the government, GM, BMW, Nissan, etc. Sketchy on exactly how fast these charges um, and what they're going to be. But I just wanted to put that feel-good thing in there that the U.S. government – and some of these big manufacturers are going to continue to build out the supercharging network. Oh, my gosh, we need more superchargers. Yeah, so the CNET article you posted had a couple of links, one to a Reuters article, which actually had a lot more information about these things. So you should check out that article. Um, Do you know that uh, the definition of an intellectual has been uh, defined as somebody who can see the word Reuters and pronounce it correctly? No, that's not true, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Well, no. it's Reuters. And so... The interesting thing that I saw about this is that in the Reuters article, they talk about the state of California being a little bit more forward-thinking in their EV-ness, and they're saying that the the state, all of the state-owned parking places, which I think is a lot of parking places that the state potentially could own in all of their buildings, and I don't know if the state park service is included in this, but 5% of those will be EV charge capable by the 2020. That's five a big, of the five, five of the parking spaces. Five no, percent of all California's state-owned parking spaces will be EV charge capable by 2020. Wow, that's a big number. It could be good. Actually, I was just looking at the new Apple campus. You've seen this big glass circular. Looks like it's going to be a spaceship Apple campus. They have eleven thousand parking lots, three hundred EV charges. That's not enough. I was just saying. And also, I don't like the new MacBook Pro, but that's a whole other show. That's like almost 5%, though, is it not? No, it's 2.5%. Letters. We have so many letters. We get a lot of letters. And we have a lot of letters about the Dutch. And I I cannot believe that it was me who made the mistake. Clearly, it was me from well, these letters. I think letters. Uh, we all made some mistakes here. <laughs> mistakes were made. And... Um, let me just say this to uh, the Dutch, to the Neverlandians, to the Hondas, to all of those people in that cold part of the world. 
we're sorry. Right. But let me state this. The reason that we North Americans or Australians tend to screw this up is because you guys made it so effing complicated. Would you like me to prove that to well, you? But in their defense, we made a mistake between Denmark and Amsterdam. We made so many mistakes. <laughs> I would like to play this audio for you okay, to explain why everybody outside your region can't understand your region. It's not our fault. Your forefathers made this effing complicated. And here you go. Welcome to the great nation of Holland, where the tulips grow, the windmills turn, the breakfast is chocolatey, the people industrious, and the sea tries to drown it all. Except this country isn't Holland. It's time for the difference between Holland, the Netherlands, and a whole lot more. The correct name for this tulip growing, windmill building, haggoslag eating, container ship moving, ocean conquering nation is the Netherlands. But confusion is understandable. The general region has been renamed a lot over a thousand years, including as the Dutch Republic, the United States of Belgium, and the Kingdom of Holland. But it's not just history that makes this country's name confusing, because the Netherlands is divided into 12 provinces. Groningen, Trenta, Overhessel, Helderland, Limburg, Noord-Brabant, Zeeland, which by the way is the Zeeland that makes this Zeeland new, Friesland with adorable little hearts on its flags, Flevoland, Utrecht, and here's the confusion, Nord, North Holland, and Zuid South Holland. These provinces make calling the Netherlands Holland like calling the United States Dakota. Though unlike the Dakotas, which are mostly empty save for the occasional jackalope, the two Hollands are the most populated provinces and have some of the biggest attractions like Amsterdam and Kokenhof. Chances are, if it's Dutch and you've heard of it, it's in one of the Hollands. Even the government's travel website for the country is Holland.com, officially because it sounds friendlier, but unofficially, it's probably what people are actually searching for. Confusion continues because people who live in the Hollands are called Hollanders, but all citizens of the Netherlands are called Dutch, as is their language. But in Dutch, they say, Nederlands, sprekende Nederlanders in Nederland, which sounds like they'd rather we call them Netherlanders, speaking Netherlandish. Meanwhile, next door in Germany, they're Deutsche Sprechen Deutsch in Deutschland, which sounds like they'd rather be called Dutch. This linguistic confusion is why Americans call the Pennsylvania Dutch Dutch, even though they're Germans. To review, this country is the Netherlands, its people are Dutch, and they speak Dutch. There is no country called Holland, but there are provinces of North and South Holland. Got it? Great, because it's about to get more complicated. The Netherlands is part of a kingdom with the same name, the Kingdom of the Netherlands, which is headed by the Dutch royal family. The Kingdom of the Netherlands contains three more countries, and to find them we must sail from the icy North Sea to the Caribbean and Aruba, Curaçao, and St. Martin. These are no territories but self-governing countries within the Kingdom of the Netherlands, and as such they have their own governments and their own currencies. Geography geek side note here, while Aruba and Curaçao are islands, St. Martin is just the southern half of a tiny island also named St. Martin, the other half of which is occupied by France, and also named St. Martin. So despite being separated by Belgium on the European map, the Kingdom of the Netherlands and the French Republic share a border on the other side of the world on an island so nice they named it thrice. But why does the Kingdom of the Netherlands reach to the Caribbean anyway? Because empire. In the 1600s, the Dutch, always looking to expand business, laid their hands on every valuable port they could. For a time, America's east coast was New Netherland with its capital city of New Amsterdam. There was New Zealand, as mentioned previously, and nearby, the king of the islands, New Holland. Though the empire is gone, these three Caribbean nations remain. And while four countries in one kingdom isn't unheard of, it doesn't stop there, because the country of the Netherlands also extends its borders to the Caribbean and three more islands, Bonaire, St. Eustatius, and Seba. These are not countries in a kingdom, but are cities 
in the country of the Netherlands, and they look the part. Residents of these far-flung cities vote in elections for the Dutch government just as any Hollander would, though weirdly they don't belong to any province, and they don't use the Dutch currency of euros, they use dollars instead. It's kind of like if Hawaii wasn't a state, but technically part of the District of Columbia, all the while using yen. These cities of the country of the Netherlands and these countries in the Kingdom of the Netherlands are together known as the Dutch Caribbean, and their citizens are Dutch citizens, which, because the Kingdom of the Netherlands is a member of the European Union, means that these Dutch Caribbeans are also Europeans. So in the end, there are six Caribbean islands, four countries, twelve provinces, two Hollands, two Netherlands, and one kingdom. All Dutch. Did you guys listen to this thing? Yeah. It's great. I've seen it before, and it didn't make it any clearer, to be honest with you. So that's why, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. We will continue to screw this up. So will everybody else outside your area, because it's really complicated. And I have one word for you people. Referendum. Rename some shit. (laughs) Change the name of your languages and your countries and simplify for the rest of us. Go ahead. Is that why it's spelled in the show notes, Amsterdam? Maybe. With the damn on the end? <laughs> it could be. Well, let's keep going because this is going to come up with some more letters. But first of all, thanks to John Davis for the merch. John uh, sent us some merch. It's some stickers and it says, uh, re- confirmed reservation holder, Model 3. And John actually uh, made these up. He's the president of Custom Digital LLC. Not making any money out of these. Had some leftovers. Sent them to us. John, thanks for the merch. We love them. Tom's like, where's mine? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're all I've gone got now. stickers all over my I was, house. I was out of town for a day. I got nothing. Let's keep uh, going here. Christopher, please help me out here. DeSormo. Wow, that's really good. Christopher DeSormo said, uh, dudes, stop using um, EVs and then talk about ICE cars. He wants us to say EVs and ICE V because the V stands for vehicle and I stands for internal combustion engine dash vehicle versus electric vehicle. Whatever. We can try that. It's not going to happen. But but, but we say we ICE cars? Why can't? What's wrong he wants with a ICE v cars? Christopher wants a V. If Christopher wants a V, he'll get it. V. Right? We're going to forget, dude. We don't even say kilowatt hour and kilowatt correctly 98% of the time. And we get a lot of letters about that. But Christopher, we're going to give it a shot. Trent Eddy. Is that right? Trent said you sure. should watch this thing uh, about uh, Obama talking about some stuff. No, that's the wrong one. Yeah. yeah. President Obama was talking to Wired Magazine. And basically he said stuff like uh, for self-driving cars, the text basically here. And he's all big and supporting of it because he believes, as many people do, this will significantly reduce the number of traffic fatalities and reduce CO2 emissions. And did you hear about the mayor, Mayor Bloomberg of Bloomberg. New York? No. Yeah. So he is getting together with a bunch of other mayors like uh, uh, Buenos Aires, I think uh, somewhere in Texas, maybe it was Los Angeles. Anyway, all these mayors are getting together to put forward regulations, local regulations and rules for autonomous vehicles. They're all in on this. And so I was thinking that's awesome because I was driving in San Francisco a few days ago with the Tesla, which I must say does not fit well. The Model S does not fit well in San Francisco. I think the Model 3 is going to do so much better because the Model S is sort of like a cork. It's like driving a cork. It doesn't fit well through a lot of these really (laughs) small spaces. I drove into a big parking lot and I passed six parking spaces because there's no way the Model S would have fit into that little tiny slot. And so anyway, this is a huge, huge 
challenge for autonomous vehicles when I'm driving around San Francisco between the trolley cars, the electric buses, which are tethered to wires above, the regular buses, the bicycles, the you name it. There's like 30 different kinds of transportation modes around me, and they're all very complicated. I can barely handle it. Wow. What a task for autonomous driving technology. It's funny you bring that up because since, you know, I've put an order in for a new model S and I was all excited. It's going to have all the hardware full autonomy. I've been thinking the same thing about as I'm driving around to some particularly difficult areas where there's lots of cars and people and kids and bikes. The same as you going, really? It can, it's going to be able to learn how to do this? Because I'm a human and I'm like on cognitive overload trying to deal with some of these situations and this car's going to learn how to do it. I think it's going to be really good on the freeways for about five years. It I'm not so sure it's going to be able to do some of this stuff in it, San Francisco. It only has to learn driving, dude. You had to learn like medicine and now podcasting and, and relationships and all these other things that that car's not going to have to deal with. This is It's all about space and physics. I still think it's going to be really hard. <laughs> Devin M. is Canadian. What? Uh, we're sorry. And he wrote <laughs> us a really, really long letter. And the problem is there's all that reading you've got to do when you get a long letter. Yeah. But one of the most interesting things there, he's saying to, to Robert and to me, dudes, why are, you, uh, why are you getting this car right now? Why don't you just mm. wait and get the 100D and get some better range? And I've got to tell you, reading this, um, Devin, made me anxious. Because <laughs> um, I was thinking, yeah, you're probably right. Shh, I probably should wait another month and just get the 100 I don't know what to do with you my need life. A, you need a prescription for anxiety medication. I need an anxiolytic. <laughs> oh, and then he's talking about, you know, the cost of this car versus buying some other cars, which are much cheaper. And, oh, my gosh. And he gave us some money in the Patreon account, but I need a lot more. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, he also, uh, you know, we read this letter mostly – put this letter in the show because, again, uh, it started with why Tom is right. Robert is not 100% wrong, uh, you know, because I'm right. You're always right. Yeah. Simon Drake um, said, you know, this this concept that um, you're going to buy a solar roof, a Powerwall on a Tesla car, and you're going to be all in doesn't make much sense to him for the reasons that I outlined before. The size of the Powerwall you really need to sort of uh, – give a big FU to the electricity uh, producers in this country is huge. By the time you do your house and your electric car, you need a, a big, big power supply there. You need 100, 200 kilowatts at home. So this might be okay for certain circumstances, but for getting off the grid for most people, these power walls are not big enough. But let me ask you this, and it just came to me. What if you could buy a Model 3, Yes. you get a solar roof, Yes. It, you get four solar batteries, okay. right, or four power wall batteries, yes. and your roof is really just your way that you're getting transportation, and it, maybe it doesn't replace your home's electrical, but it does replace your battery, your car battery electrical. A, it'll reduce the amount of need to people to go to superchargers, uh, and it'll reduce the amount of coal electricity that's going into for transportation so maybe it just fits that little niche and then it works a little bit for just the model three because again the battery is a little bit smaller x y and z i mean i don't think you'll ever get you know the the downside is if you're using all 60 kilowatt hours of the model three battery you're never going to probably get that in a day unless you have a lot of property to put solar panels on you know uh elon said it at the uh one of the reveal events about we need three times as much electricity if we completely electrify all the cars and stuff. And so that's a lot. It's a lot more. And I think we're in the early stages of uh, home 
electricity generation and storage. Be interesting ten years from now, see uh, where we're at. And Devin also said that we cost. that they have Halloween in Canada. He so did that say that. Cool. Now, that is good to know. Thanks, Devin. Gabor and Devin doesn't bother to give his last name because he knows you won't. He knows. Pronounce it. <laughs> he knows. I'm just going to destroy it. Now, Gabor, help me out here, bro. Ladenfrost. Ladenfrost. <laughs> um, he says, uh, first of all, you are idiots. Um, <laughs> That's true. You mispronounced uh, my name. It was hysterical. Uh-huh. Uh, but, we've got, but we've got nine more listeners because he sent the link to all his kids so they could hear you bur- right. butcher his name. And I may have just done it again. I'm not even sure. Could have just butchered it in an entirely different way. So, kids, you're welcome. And then he says, uh, Robert almost fell out of my seat cracking up when uh, you said the bit about, have you tried to uh, speak Dutch? Only people from Denmark can. Too funny. My wife is Dutch. (laughs) And they are all from Holland, a.k.a. the Netherlands. And I'm fairly certain all your Dutch listeners have left talking Tesla Nation after that comment. And can you blame them? Not really. We've been through it, though. If you could simplify it for us, we'd get it right. Now, having said that, I've got this other uh, podcast. It's a medical podcast. And on that show, we uh, had a similar sort of uh, issue. And we talked about Dutch ovens. It's completely inappropriate. <laughs> so the rest of the people who are still <laughs> so, listening are about to not the, listen. The, the one person who's still from this area of the world that's listening, I'm about to make you leave. But this is pretty funny. Insert audio now. <laughs> I hate this paper, and they should be put in a Dutch jail for publishing it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? <laughs> what's, a, what's a Dutch jail? They're from the Netherlands. Okay, all right. I thought maybe it was a spit, a spit like a Dutch oven. In the Netherlands, not only do we put you in jail, but then we also fart into your uh, jail cell. That's where you get the, the phrase Dutch oven. You're going to commit a crime, then when you go to jail, we fart on you. That's how it works. The Dutch officials should come and, and arrest them for this. Dear MRAP, as a Dutch subscriber, I take issue with these jokes about... Dutch jails. The Dutch jails are in fact really good, really nice. Google image search will show you that they look like a hotel. Anyway, I'm actually writing to you from a Dutch jail right now as I type. <laughs> oh, come on! And stop it! <laughs> We're screwed in the Dutch. <laughs> now, Gabor also said uh, that Mel Lucas Graham, so we all screwed it up, Said, I definitely checked him out. He's uh, he's Dutch. No, he's not Dutch. He's not Dutch. <laughs> he did it again. He's Danish. Oh, my gosh. But he sounds really good. I just wanted to make one simple point, that I like Lucas Graham, and I think people from these areas are often very good at multiple languages. I also like Danishes. What's... What? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Somebody pronounced this person's name. I refuse. I'm going to say Nicolaj. it's Nikolaj Lund Nielsen. He also said that Lucas Graham is Danish, not Dutch. Turns out everybody <laughs> but us knew that. <laughs> and I found another thing here that I would like to read to you. A fair number of otherwise well-educated people are confused about the difference between Danish and Dutch. As a Dutch native speaker, I feel the urge to clear up that misunderstanding. Danish is a language spoken in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Dutch is the language spoken in the Netherlands. As is noted in the article above that he references, both languages are Germanic languages spoken in small, flat countries located in the northwest of Europe. But that's about where the similarities stop. Sadly, however, the author of the aforementioned article seems to be confused about the difference between Holland and the Netherlands. Now, 
Admittedly, many different words are associated with the Netherlands. The country is sometimes falsely referred to as Holland, which is really just a part of the Netherlands, and the language is called Dutch, which seems, on the face of it, to be completely unrelated to both the Netherlands and Holland. I'm very sorry about it all, but none of this relates to Denmark and Danish. Finally, we don't have Legoland in the Netherlands. I hope that clears it up for you. Where do they have Legoland? <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a Danish company? Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> Michael, please pronounce Michael's name because he's never going to talk to us. Let's go with Blyden. Michael Blyden says, hey, he really loves the show. He thinks it's really important, but could you guys stop trying to be funny because you're not? (laughs) And stop interrupting each other with jokes. It says the the podcast suffers from this. Um, Michael, I really hope you don't leave, but the only way I can get through (laughs) the week is by having the show have silliness in it. If it was straight up, it just it wouldn't it wouldn't work for me. So there's got to be silliness. It's interesting. I did talk tears. to a I talked to be. a producer from NPR from National Public Radio, mm-hmm. and I uh, listened to the show. And he goes, "Wow, this really reminds me of Car Talk, except for two problems. Uh oh, <laughs> you're not as funny as those guys. Yeah, and you don't know as much. But otherwise, <laughs> I really like the show. Huh. One thing I know for certain is that Michael Blyden is not from Denmark. But if we're but we're being compared with those guys, and they had a very long run. They're, they're they not even geniuses. around anymore, and they're still on the air. They That's were amazing. Geni- if you haven't heard car talk if you're from another country, if you want to hear two really funny guys with great accents talk about cars in exquisite detail while at the same time being ridiculously funny, these two brothers were geniuses. Unfortunately, the show ended a few years ago. One of the brothers got dementia and recently died. But they are geniuses, and we are no car talk. Let's be damn sure. This is Jason... Birch Hall? Birch Hall. And I don't remember what he said because <laughs> it's very long. But thank you for your letter. I did read it in some detail. It talks about wanting Tesla to be a successful company, to follow in the footsteps of their competitors, BMW, Audi. Well, let's hope they're not going to fall. Let's hope we don't find out that Tesla is actually not an electric car. When you go to a supercharger, oh they're putting gas God. in the thing. Wouldn't that be classic? <laughs> That's what's going on. Oh my god! Obviously, I'm looking. I'm looking joke. forward to Jason's letter when he talks uh, about the Model Three he has on order because it's going to blow every one of his BMWs away. Yeah. He says he really likes BMWs and he's you know going to get an EV and he's excited about it all. We'll see what happens when the Model Three comes out. Lars Larsden. Lars, there's no D there, so it's Lars Larsen. Thank but you. That's cool. Uh, subject: Denmark. A what? Again? Uh, here we go again. <laughs> uh, correction. Denmark and Holland mixed. You screwed it all up. You're idiots. And uh, <laughs> he also uh, talked about uh, Lucas Graham is Danish from Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> so let oh, me, my God. Let me just be very clear. Let's try and get this right. Okay, so Lucas Graham is Danish uh-huh. from Denmark, mm-hmm. from the city of Copenhagen, specifically from Christiania, which is also known as Freetown Christiania, a self-proclaimed autonomous neighborhood of about 850 residents covering 34 hectares in the borough of some other place that's unpronounceable in the Danish capital of Copenhagen. It was temporarily abandoned by the residents in April 2011 while discussions continued with the Danish government about its future. Christiania has been a source of controversy since its creation in a squatted military area in 1971. They do a lot of dope there and it was tolerated by authorities until 2004. In the years following 2004, measures for normalizing the legal status of the community led to conflicts, police raids, and negotiations. All I wanted to say was that I thought Lucas Graham was good music. 
And now look what I'm <laughs> Look what you're, what you're, and I'm sure we're going to get more letters. Carl's got one. It can't be over. Go on, Robert. I was going to say, now that we're on the topic of pronunciation. Oh, no. Uh, I think that we should consider how we speak the name of the car company that oh. we are so enamored with, right? Yes. How do you spell T, or how do you say T-E-S-L-A? Tesla. Some people say Tesla. Tesla. Like Some there's people. a Z in there. So right. I'm actually going to try to remember now to change my pronunciation so that I can be thought of as more worldly, even though I lack the worldliness. So from now on, I'm going to try and say Tesla. I am not. That's how Elon pronounces it, with a Z. Then Where's it must another be right. Here? From Carl. What's Carl's name? Come on. Learmarkers. Learmarkers? There's no R there. Yeah, Learmarkers. Learmarkers. He says uh, the not Dutch markers, are multilingual. Look, I just let me summarize okay, this. Okay, please. Carl's from Belgium. Oh, no. And <laughs> not another one. <laughs> and he starts talking about all these Europeans that live in these congested areas where there's lots of different languages, and that's why they speak a lot of languages. Uh-huh. And uh, I just wanted to start to get into the sort of the Switzerland versus Sweden thing, but I didn't want to go there. No, please. They're no, the same place no as far as I'm aware. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're not even close. <laughs> Um, At least I know that. We're getting goes 10 letters of, on that. There goes the rest it's of next Europe. week. Oh, you, know, you know where there's a lot of Dutch? In, in Brazil. So we've really? got more, we have more people we have yet to piss off because I have not yet seen a letter from Brazil. Have you? Not yet. Apparently, okay. there's supposed to be a lot of Dutch in Pennsylvania, but they're German and not Dutch. So there <laughs> goes then, that group. And then right up the road in Solvang, <laughs> it's sort of a little mini Dutch uh, Disneyland kind of thing where you can get evil skeevers, which, oh, God, so I good. hope it's a Dutch treat it's because that's not. what I think it is. They're evil skeevers. They're probably German and they're wonderful. John Zhang? Uh, sure. Is that his name? Yeah. He's got another long letter, which I can't remember because I didn't put any notes on it. <laughs> he bought a used Tesla as a CPO. He sent us a letter. He loves the show. He didn't say anything bad about any of the stuff that we talk about or make mistakes about. So, oh, goodness, thank you so much. And then the next name, uh, no, I'm not even giving this one a sh- uh, I'm not. No, Masa. not going to happen. Masa and an unpronounceable last name with lots of dots and stuff over the A's and the I's, which we're not even going to try. Make a, I'm going to try make a line in. I'm going to try that one. So so if we're right, Masa, make a line in, then that you're welcome. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about geothermal heat pumps. And in fact, a number of people have been talking about these heat pumps. And I'm going to be talking with Dwight about these heat pumps on an upcoming going zero. Uh, Ferdinand Niederman. You don't want to talk about this? <laughs> we just need to end these letters. We can't. I have to go. Fucking going for it. <laughs> There's a lot of letters. But we got it. Diego sent us a letter. Uh, who else sent us a letter? Franco here? sent us a Franco letter. Franco sent us a letter. Everybody Nathan sent us a letter. Nathan Dwyer sent us a letter. Uh, David Urquhart sent us a letter, really important one, an audio one, which uh, basically says you should have some more women on the that program. That was important, and, and I'm, I totally I'm agree with fully that Fully for that. We're going to get rid of Tom and uh, <laughs> John Davis. <laughs> Wait a minute. John Davis, we talked about, didn't we, that we got uh, yes. his stickers, which was great. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please send us your letters. I really would prefer them if they were audio letters so that I wouldn't have to try and pronounce <laughs> your names and make them short. Um, Robert's not in-house today. That's why the no. energy is also effed up again. You know, we've really got to be in the same room. You know why? Because it's hard over Skype. It's painful, but it hurts us when you say that to our faces. 
that our energy is not any good. I mean, we put a lot. No, of, the energy actually minutes, was good. It's just put minutes just, of work into the show every day. Just, just saying, I miss you. Uh, I want to be in the room with you. I'm well, I'm going to be gone ya. next Monday. So, no, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's my birthday. I couldn't think of anything I would like to do Dun, less. Na, 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 na. They say it's Happy your birthday. birthday. Spend the rest of the day trying to, to fix the Talking Tesla podcast. You know, as a birthday present to Tesla Nation, send them an unedited version of this bad boy. For anybody in the audience who's got a birthday today, happy birthday to you. Hey, one thing you can do for me, this will go out tomorrow, vote. Do not let apathy win. For God's sake, get off your buttocks if you're in the United States, go vote. Vote one way or the other, just vote. So we know. I prefer you go the other way. I prefer you vote for somebody who thinks that global warming is an issue, but hey, it's your decision. Yeah. All right, democracy rules. Clean coal doesn't exist. Since this is the podcast that never ends, let's do a going zero. Remember that uh, Talking Tesla is a production of Fulubu, and if you love the show, go to TalkingTesla.net and sign up for our Patreon. We could use a little cash to make this thing better. The Audio Conferencing Center. Please enter a conference ID, followed by pound. It's time for a quick going zero. I'm going to have an announcement at the end of this, and we're going to talk to Dwight Shump. Here's what he does. Yeah, so uh, I'm a, a building engineer. Uh, our firm is a mechanical electrical consulting firm, so we design building systems. Sort of another way to talk about it is uh, architectural engineering. Um, so we work with architects to do the building systems design. So yeah, uh, net zero is actually becoming a thing um, in our profession um, as well as something that we are doing ourselves. Well, Dwight was minding his own business when all of a sudden he was listening to Talking Tesla and he sent us an email about the fact that he works doing this kind of stuff. And I contacted him and said, could I have you on the show because I want to build a building and I want to make it as close to carbon zero as possible, but I need some help. And he's the guy. We're a design firm. So we we do the designs, um, create a set of documents that then are used by contractors to actually physically construct. Which is actually perfect for me, right? Because uh, he's not in my state. He's in Iowa and I'm in California. So what I want is some help. How do I build this thing and with what and what technology should I put in there? And then I'll have my people over here do it. Now, it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that we had a pretty long conversation, but I'm going to cut it right down because we're going to do something different. And here's the announcement. Might as well do it now. I'm going to actually create a new podcast called Going Zero that has sort of grown out of this experience that we have right here because you people who listen to Talking Tesla, you don't care about these basics. You know them. But what you need, what I need, is a place to send people who are new to electric cars and solar energy and trying to go zero, and they need a place to learn about it. So we're going to create a sort of a short series of all the basics So you can say to somebody, you want to know about this stuff? Go listen to solar panels on Going Zero. Go listen to uh, electric cars on Going Zero. Go listen to how to build a uh, really low-energy office or studio or house. Go listen to Going Zero. And we're going to create that as a resource on the internet that's free that you, the listeners to Talking Tesla, and the rest of the world can sort of use as sort of a Khan Academy about getting up to speed. And then something like Talking Tesla will be the ongoing discussion of everything that's interesting 
in this area. So we're going to get Dwight back on the phone at a different time with better audio and go into detail as he takes us through how you do this. Be net zero, the first thing to do is, to, is, is definitely to minimize the amount of energy that the building needs to begin with. So the key thing in a new building, in a home, what you want to do is simply have as little energy required to run that home, that studio, that office, that whatever it is, as possible. So let's get the top three or four or five things that you can do to make that happen. Knowing that, again, we're going to do this in much more detail on a different podcast soon. For example, I guess maybe a good way to talk about this would be to talk about what we did um, in the design and construction of our own building. So we started first with siting the building um, in an advantageous way. So um, our building is long, narrow building, and we oriented it on the east-west axis to maximize southern exposure and, uh, and northern exposure and minimize east and west. That's advantageous from the standpoint of, first of all, light control, so we can take advantage of natural um, daylight and, and not need to use as much artificial light as we would otherwise. East and west exposures, you, you do still get natural daylight, but it's very hard to control the glare because of the low sun angles in the morning and the, in the evening. So maximizing north and south is, is good because you can do shading on the south um, so that you don't get direct light in and you don't you can control glare better. And on the north, of course, you don't get any direct, direct sun, at least in our hemisphere now. I guess um, in your home country, it'd be the opposite way around. So that's a good, a good place to start is siting the building well, looking at ways of designing the, now these are more architectural things than what um, our firm focuses on the building systems, but, but definitely to do the architecture in a way that minimizes the energy needed by the systems is the first place to start. So that's number one. Number one is uh, design the building in a way that, that it needs as little energy uh, to heat and cool and light um, the building as possible. All right, so what's going to be number two? Design the systems in a way that they use as little energy input as possible. Again, using our office building as an example, we chose to use a, a geothermal heat pump system for the heating and cooling, which I don't know if you want to get into the details of that, but essentially use the the ground as a heat source in the wintertime and an efficient heat sink in the summertime. So that minimizes the amount of energy needed for heating and cooling. It's especially a good match if you are energy source to run the systems is electricity, an extremely efficient heating system for an electrical power source. So I asked Dwight, my understanding of this concept is that you sort of dig down underneath the earth where the temperature is pretty much constant the whole year. So it's cooler than it is in summer and it's warmer than it is in the winter. And you use that heat during the winter and that coolness to cool during the summer. Is that the basic concept? Around here, um, and, and I think this is fairly typical in different parts of the country, is that you need to get about, once you get about 15 feet below grade, um, then the, then the, the soil temperature is, the ground temperature is, is, is pretty much constant, effectively constant. You can do geothermal systems with piping that's maybe as little as seven feet below grade, but you're, you're in that sort of transition zone. So once you get, once you get down to seven feet, um, it's, it's enough that you can benefit from geothermal, but once you get below 15 feet, then it's, then it's constant. In our part of the country, the ground temperature is somewhere in the range of between 50 and 55 degrees year-round, and it stays pretty much the same between summer and winter. So like you said, in the wintertime, the air temperature may be minus 20, and the ground temperature is 50. So if you're going to use a heat pump to essentially pump heat from a you know, from a lower temperature source to a higher temperature, so you have lower temperature in the ground, higher temperature in the building, 
the amount of energy that it takes to make heat flow backwards, essentially, from what it would um, by um, passive means, is dependent on what that temperature difference is. So if you're trying to take heat from a zero-degree out source outside, like the air, pump it into a building that's 70 degrees, you have a 70-degree temperature difference to overcome. If, in contrast, you're using 50-degree ground source, now you only have a 20 degree temperature difference to overcome with that with that heat pump, and so it, it takes much less energy to overcome that uh, to pull, extract heat from the 50 degree source than it would from a 20 degree source or a zero degree source. So that I get, but then he dropped on me that you can do an air source heat pump, and I'm like, the what? Yeah, so an air source heat pump, basically, it's, it looks exactly like you, like your air conditioner, where you have. You have this box sitting outside that has a compressor and coil and fan in it. And in the summertime, the way it works is it takes, it's essentially rejecting the heat from the building to the outside. So you have, you know, if you put your hand over the top of the fan, you'll feel warm air coming off. And that's really essentially the heat of the house that's being discharged out of the, out of that condensing unit or air conditioning unit. It can um, operate in the, what's called the reverse cycle, where it, instead of extracting heat from the house and discharging it uh, out the, the condensing unit, it can extract heat from the air outside and discharge it into the building. Same principle as a ground source system, except that it's instead of using water as a, as a transfer medium, it's using air. So it's exchanging heat between the, the outside air and the refrigerant that's, uh, that's in the air conditioning system. And it's essentially just operating in the reverse cycle where, where it's extracting heat from outside in, in the heating mode. And I'm like, uh, that sounds like a normal air conditioning unit to me. It's a, a little bit different, but not very. Essentially, it has what they call a reversing valve. So the, it still has the same compressor, compressor, uh, a coil, and a fan. And then the inside part is exactly the same. The outside part then has what's called a reversing valve, which allows it to reverse the cycle from where it's extracting the heat and where it's rejecting the heat. All right. So how we orient the building is really important. And then we're going to do some heat source, some heat pumping from the ground or maybe even from the air. So give us one more before we come back to this next week. Daylighting is a great way to limit the amount of electricity that you use for lighting. And in, in your climate where you don't have as extreme heating needs, the lighting becomes a larger portion of your total energy consumption. So it can be even more important to be strategic about how you do your lighting. You want to have lots of uh, north and south windows. You want to have the height of the windows as high as you can, the top of the window as high as you can, because that determines how far into the building the light penetrates. So again, using our, our office building as an example, we had windows uh, where the, the top of the window was, was 10 feet above the floor. It would have been even better if we could have been 12 feet above the floor, but that's where you have to kind of balance it with the first cost because, of course, making a taller building costs more. But that allows the light to penetrate further into the building. So the rule of thumb is, I think, if I get this right, about 1.5 times the height of the window is the uh, is where you get good daylighting penetration. So about 15, in our case, our window height was 10 feet. 1.5 times that is 15 feet. So we get good lighting um, 15 feet into the building. Our building was about 50 feet wide. And so we had good penetration 15 feet in from the south and 15 feet in from the north. So we had about 20 feet in the center that didn't get full daylight, um, still gets benefit of the daylight. So what we did is in the center, we put in 
um, lights that could dim up and down as needed, depending on, on what the amount of light that was coming in from the natural light. So we put in sensors that measure the amount of light coming in and will raise or lower the artificial lights in the center um, as needed, depending on the time of day. All right, we're going to talk with Dwight more next week about how to make a building really energy efficient. But uh, we're also going to tell you more details about Going Zero, the podcast within a podcast that's going to be extracted from that podcast and put into its own podcast, Podcast. Did you follow that? Hmm. Talk to you next week. Right, we're going to talk with Dwight more next week about how to make a building really energy efficient. But uh, we're also going to tell you more details about Going Zero, the podcast within a podcast that's going to be extracted from that podcast and put into its own podcast, Podcast. Did you follow that? Hmm. Talk to you next week.